The Steve Lobby Agency presents The Christian Publishing Show, a podcast for writers who want to advance Christ's kingdom using the written word. Here's your host, Thomas Umstadt Jr. Some novelists see themselves as character-first writers, while others start with the plot. Which is better, and does it depend on your genre, and could you be making mistakes that are crippling your writing? Our guest today is going to help answer these questions and more. She is a best-selling author. She's won two Christie Awards, and she's been a finalist in the Rita Inspirational Choice and the Carol Award Contests. She's also a founding board member of the American Christian Fiction Writers and the director of the Blue Ridge Mountain, uh, Blue Ridge Mountains Christian Writers Conference, Deanne Mills. Welcome to the Christian Publishing Show. Well, it is an honor to be here, and thank you so much, uh, Thomas. I really, really appreciate it. And after all, you're just down the road from me. <laughs> we Texans have to stick together. That's right, we do. <laughs> so uh, when it comes to which comes first, plot or character, is it the perennial question, which comes first, chicken or the egg, or is there a best approach? What are your thoughts? Well, with me, I have to have an idea of what a story is about. And when I have that, hmm, this would make a really, really good suspense story, then I think about, okay, what kind of character would have the most to lose if they failed? What character would have the most to gain if they won? And when I have that, then I dive into character and I put that plot, that story idea aside until I really know that character. I have been getting into story writing uh, in the most basic sense that it possibly could be gotten into. Uh, my 18-month-old daughter is now old enough for me to tell stories to her, and I'll tell her stories trying to keep her in her high chair during dinner so we can all have dinner together. And I find that I have to have a um, – she doesn't really care about characters yet. Uh, but she does care about the protagonist wanting something she can relate to, right? So the puppy dog really wants to go play in the backyard, and that's something she can relate to. And then I just throw obstacles in front of the puppy dog as he's trying to get in the backyard uh, while I'm buying time for the rest of the family uh, to finish the meal. And it's interesting because in some ways that's kind of the same approach that at least some authors take when they're writing their stories. Uh, they cre- they start with their protagonist, and then they ask the question, what does this protagonist want? And then it's a matter of kind of putting obstacles in their path. Um, is What what would you recommend? Coach me on how to tell a better story to my 18-month-old. Okay. Well, we want, uh, we want those obstacles. We want those roadblocks so that the character can figure out what, well, I'm going to go through this roadblock or I'm going to go over it or I'm going to go under it. With me, what I do is, and I know you may find this absolutely surprising, but I am a panster. (laughs) However, I complete several pages about my back, about my character, including backstory before I start chapter one, line one. And within that character sketch, I learned so much. Uh, basic, why do I want to write this story? Who is the best character? What's their name? What's it mean? Uh, what are their problems, their goals? Uh, what, um, one of my favorite, Thomas, one of my favorite, favorite parts of 
the pre-writing process so that I can weave the character and the plot together is asking them, okay, what happened in your character's life from birth to age 12 that impacted them, that shows who they are? Chapter one, line one. And I take that in 10-year increments until I come up with a year before the story opens. And then I do the six months, the three months, the four weeks, 24 hours, 10 minutes. And that just builds up my enthusiasm. Of course, I'm already crazy about my story anyway, (laughs) but that just builds it up so that I can start in the right place and I know who that character is so they can really, really dive into where they are going. That's a lot of preparation ahead of time for a pantser. And I think we should define what you mean by pantser. Because I think for some people, like, what are you talking about? Do, do, do some <laughs> characters not have pants? Uh, no, that's not what I mean. Uh, <laughs> some writers are, as I say, married to an outline. They are going to spend a lot of time outlining their story, chapter by chapter, scene by scene, chapter by chapter. And then when they have that all finished, then they're going to just fill in the blanks. Well, I find that extremely boring. It takes the fun out of it for me. My imagination goes down the tubes, and so does my creativity. So I want to know that character as thoroughly as I possibly can, and then I'm going to put them into my story. So it's an adventure. And my tagline is expect an adventure. Well, that's for me as much as it is for the reader, because I want that whole process to uh, be exciting, uh, just filled with, wow, what happens next? If my character finds a dead body, It's as much a surprise to me as it is to the reader. And that's the way I want it. I prefer it. I have to work that way. So you're writing by the seat of your pants rather than from writing from an outline. And here's what I want you you to hear is that there's no right way or wrong way. We have guests on this show who've been very successful with one way or the other way. But what's important is to find which way works for you. And also, I feel like to a certain degree, find which way works for your genre. If you're writing thrillers, I think it's harder to do it with an outline and to keep it unexpected. You, it, it's not impossible, and there are thriller writers who, who write with an outline, but part of what a thriller reader is looking for is that surprise. Whereas in other genres, readers aren't really wanting to be surprised, right? Romance readers may not want to be surprised. Even some fantasy and sci-fi readers aren't really wanting to be surprised. I mean, a few surprises here and there are okay, but they're not wanting to surprise every chapter, <laughs> all these twists and turns, necessarily. Again, there's differences in what readers are looking for. And so you write by the seat of your pants, but the way that you do that is by first building up this backstory so you know the character really well. So you're not creating the character by the seat of the pants, uh, you're creating the plot by the seat of the pants. Right. I Well, first of all, let me say about those who outline, many of them feel that their creativity is in that outline. And they receive a lot of self-satisfaction from that. And uh, I applaud them. That's just not the way I can work. But what I wanted to say is that although the 
the character is fictitious, I want that character to be my friend. Uh, and I'll give you a funny little example here. I used to be a church librarian. I know I really, really, uh, that doesn't really make a lot of sense when you consider what I write. But in any event, I went in to relieve the librarian before me. And she said, oh, Diane, I didn't sleep last night. And so I'm doing the womanly, oh, I'm so sorry, routine. And she said, I decided to pray for everyone that I knew. And uh, and then I realized I was praying for a couple of your characters. Well, that's <laughs> what I want. Uh, I want to feel that closeness, that friendship, that love that character or love to hate that character if it's a, a villain. Uh, but I want that feeling. I want them with me, inside of me. And the only way I can do that is to spend time with them. I love that. And so with your process of as you're creating these characters, kind of before you kind of inflict the plot on them, <laughs> uh, give us some keys of creating compelling characters. What are you doing during that time of kind of giving birth to these new uh, individuals? First of all, I want to know what their outer landscape is, and that's how they look. So I'll find a picture. But it's very, very important to understand that every physical feature uh, that we give a character has to weave again with uh, motivation, self-confidence. For example, let's say that we have a, a, a young woman who has big ears. And as a little girl, her mother kept her hair very, very short. So all the school kids teased her about her big ears. Now, did you, now that, um, her hair is long and she has that hidden, there are still, uh, problems within her self-confidence that can be used in that story. I once had a friend, she had a brown eye and she had a blue eye and that always bothered her. So those are the kinds of things that even though we are doing the Barbie and Ken thing about attaching and assigning different physical characteristics, those are very important. They are vital to who your character is. So when I can go even farther than that, and I do, I use a Myers-Briggs personality testing that just works for me and my characters, but that just is a foundation. I haven't even poured concrete with that. It just gives me a, a design. Okay, this is who this character is. And then I can talk about family birth order and where they live and what kind of school, education. Uh, if they have a job, how much money do they make? Are they married? Do they have kids? Do they even want either one? Do they have any kind of faith? And if they do, what is it? And I just have the best time building that character and making them real three-dimensional, uh, sometimes a little fourth-dimensional if that's what I want to do with them. <laughs> but I build them from the bottom up. And uh, it is, oh, let's, let's see. Let me give you a really quick example. Let's say that you have um, a young man from Texas, 
I like where you're starting here. <laughs> yes. He had, he went to a small country school where everything was Friday night football. And when the weather hit, that meant everybody went to their tornado shelters. You know, that, that's who he was. Well, let's say that while he was the fair haired boy and the football player, good grades, uh, mama's favorite, he goes off to, um, Harvard to college. Now he is going to be walking into a cultural shock. He is going to be walking into trials, challenges, uh, that he has never faced before. And I love that. So what can we do with him while he's in Boston that we couldn't do with him while he was down in a rural area? So that's what I'm talking about. I want to stretch those characters. I want to put them in places that they don't want to go. I, I love that. And I actually know someone that that was their exact story. He's a football player. And he, I think he went to play for the Harvard football team. And he was from Texas. And they and the fact that he was from Texas was apparently so novel in Harvard that they called him Tex there. <laughs> <laughs> and not that he was the only person from Texas and Harvard, but it's not a big draw. Like to, a lot of Texans don't like, man, I really want to go to Harvard because we have our own, we have our own universities here in Texas we're very proud of. Um, but I, I love that. So you're building out kind of their uh, what they look like, where they come from, kind of their physical bodies, so to speak, and you're putting together their backgrounds. And, and then talk to us a little bit about their motivations, because that's one of the really important elements of a character. And what often in movies, when a movie is done poorly, it's because the characters don't want anything clear enough, <laughs> and they're just kind of letting the plot happen to them. Uh, so walk us through figuring out what that character wants and how that relates to the rest of the story. Right. The wants the needs, the goals, uh, the challenges, all of those things play into that motivation. And we have to have that motivation. Because I write story, it's easier for me to explain that in story. So let's say that we have uh, a young man who is in love with uh, a cheerleader, a cheerleader who will not give him the time of day. And she even has a boyfriend, probably a football, basketball guy. And still, that doesn't stop it, stop his heart. So he's thinking, how can I get her? What can I do to make her want to go out with me and let me be her boyfriend? So he thinks, I bet if I had a new shiny red pickup that she would just be all over me. So he goes to his parents. And, and let me stop you right here real quick, because this is, you know, that kind of solution that he's creating, the shiny red pickup, comes very much out of who he is, the rural football player, right? If he right. were a inner city football player, that would not be his go-to thought, right? Because the, the cultural expectations and the way people see pickups, right? If you're, especially, let's say you're in New York City, and it costs $300 a month just for a parking space, you know, a place to store that pickup, and it's big, and you can't get it out in and out of garages, that's not going to have the same cachet as it would in rural Texas. And, and so it's not just a matter of, like, figuring out what they look like. The, this, you know, understanding someone's cultural background affects all the decisions that they make in their story, which arguably is what makes it easier to tell the story. Once you've done that work, you're like, what kind of solution? Because right? you're kind of plotting a novel in real time. You're pantsing right here on the podcast. Right. <laughs> and, and, but it, it all derives from those in, that initial foundation that you lay down. 
Right. And so we're going to continue with this uh, little story, the scenario, and I'll do a panster thing and flip it at the end. But uh, so he goes to his parents and he says, look, I've got some money saved. I've got an after school job. I'm going to be going to college soon. This truck would really, really do me well. It would serve me all the way through school and even grad school. And they think, wow, he really has a good idea. And he says, I can change the oil. I can keep it clean. I can even pay for the insurance. So they go ahead and they make sure that he has that truck. Wow. He is ready to impress this cheerleader. Because when he pulls into the parking lot with that big old truck, wow, uh, he's turning heads. Now, in our story, in our plot, it looks like, oh, wow, he's going to get her and they'll live happily ever after. Well, maybe and maybe not. Because we also have to look at this uh, story in another way. What he wants is this girl. What he needs is confidence. So it would do him much better not to get the girl and let him strengthen his inner self and move ahead and find another goal. And this works true as if he was in Dallas and what he wanted was a vet or whatever the big <laughs> sports car is right now. Tesla. That's what everyone wants. Tesla, At least in yes. Austin, that's what everyone wants. <laughs> that's right. That's right, a Tesla. And those are pretty cool. So my my point is this, finding out what they really, really want. Put those obstacles in front of them like you were doing with your 18-month-old with a puppy who wanted to go out to play. And put them there and make them seem nearly impossible. And often I think about, uh, I hope your, your readers remember um, Indiana Jones and in reaching his goals and doing what he sets out to do when he, you know, he has that whip in his hat and he's ready to go. Remember, one of the things that he was deadly afraid of were snakes. Remember? And where did he end up? He, oh, it's snakes. It's always snakes. Yes. <laughs> and that's what we have to, we have to think snakes with our characters. We have to put them where they are most afraid. Like, uh, do we have time for me to give another little scenario? Sure, I'm going to give a quick one. Okay, uh, another real quick one. We have a uh, an older man, and when he was younger, he nearly drowned twice. And so because of that, he's deathly afraid of water. Never learned to swim, no boating, no fishing, no none of this for him. Well, he's walking his three-year-old grandson and grandson says, oh, Pops, please, can we walk around the the path around the pond so we can look at the, the geese? And he doesn't want to, but he loves that grandson. So they start their walk, and there are some geese that are fluttering, and there's a couple of little ducklings. Well, I guess those would be goslings. And <laughs> um, he uh, breaks loose from his grandpa, and he runs to the side, and he falls in. Okay, that grandpa has to make a decision. He has to overcome the physical, mental um, fear that he has in order to save his grandson. So that's what we mean when we're weaving character and plot. Uh, we want that little boy saved, but 
Grandpa's got to overcome that fear first. And this is what leads to complex characters, where they have more than one motivation, right? That grandfather uh, standing at the side of the water has has motivations that are opposed to each other, right? There's mm-hmm. a classic man against man, or man against himself, rather, uh, conflict, right? Because he wants two things, and those two things are irreconcilable. And you know, it's a similar thing that you do as you add characters, right? You add characters, and they want things, and they want things that are different than what your protagonist wants, <laughs> right? And or and it's not necessarily that it has to be head to head, right? Like I want my team to win the football game, and you want your team to win the football game, and one of us has to win, and the other one has to lose. It could be going back to the high school. Uh, player who wants the cheerleader he wants the cheerleader and the cheerleader wants to get into harvard right and her goals are like on a different planet from his goals and he she doesn't even see him right she's studying really hard for harvard and every spare minute that he thinks is her ignoring him is really her studying really hard and part of what happens in the story is the kind of discussion of the goals even of <laughs> like figuring out what do i want and am i wanting the thing that is what's really best for me absolutely and i see a story in your future uh, <laughs> so i may have to stay on you about that you know there are obstacles uh you said man against man man it can be man against nature uh it can be man against society and culture it can be, um, I love man against um, the weather, you know, the big uh, hurricane tornado stories that we've seen out there. Which I suspect will be more resonant. Uh, nature has just gotten a lot scarier in the last three months. Yes, it has. <laughs> we thought we'd conquered nature and nature is like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> and, oh, it, you know, I, I have plans for you. And so, but that all builds uh, strength and vitality. Um, last weekend, uh, in the story of my three young grandkids, they have gone through Harvey with their home flooding and being out of their home, and now they've gone through the COVID-19. Now, while some people may say, oh, that's so sad that that happened during your childhood, that may be so, but look how it is strengthening them for the problems they will face, for the goals that they want to achieve as they get older. And for that, I'm thankful. Mm -hmm. Who in the Bible encourages you as you're putting your characters together? Peter. (laughs) Peter. Because he, you know, it was um, open mouth, insert foot uh, philosophy. Uh, He wanted the best for everyone but he kind of wanted to do it himself, and so he had so many lessons to learn. But with those lessons that he learned, he achieved so much more. Uh, I'm looking one day, I'm looking forward to meeting Peter because I just I kind of identify with him because my life hasn't always been real perfect, and I've made lots of mistakes, but hopefully I've learned them. And because I've learned from them, just like in a plot, I'm ready to take on something else that's more meaningful, something that's more more hard. But I would not be able to uh, attempt that difficult task if I hadn't faced the other things previously, just like we do in our plots. We are building on the lessons learned and the pitfalls and the victories. 
Yeah, Peter's such a big um, personality, and he has a lot of desires, right? Like, he's really moving the plot forward, and the gospel writers focus on him quite a bit, right? No one ever picks Thaddeus, right? (laughs) I mean, maybe some people are big fans of Thaddeus, but it's hard to be a fan of Thaddeus because you don't know as much about Thaddeus, right? He was just as much of a real person as Peter was, but since he's not in the story as much, we don't know him as well. And this is one of the things about writing stories that you have to pick which characters are your main characters and which characters are not your main characters. We're not writing Victorian novels where we put everyone's backstory, right? This isn't a Marvel um, series of Marvel books where every character has their own movie, right? Every (laughs) character has their own book. I mean, you, you might do that, but that's a lot of work and you're definitely not doing that with your first book. So walk us through uh, briefly. We talked about creating the protagonist, the person who wants something is moving the plot forward, per- hopefully the person that the uh, reader is relating to, unless you're playing with that a little bit. And then the antagonist, who's the person who wants the thing that's in conflict somehow with the protagonist. But let's talk about the other characters. How do you create the kind of characters that are around those two, uh, since you don't have as much screen time, so to speak, or as much uh, word time to build those out, how do you build good secondary characters? I want secondary characters who support, and I also want a secondary character who opposes. Um, and I often refer to setting as a secondary character, a secondary character who is an antagonist, but that that's for another discussion. But I want characters who can provide wisdom and characters who may not provide so much wisdom. And that too forces my character to change and grow, to be their own person, not be a yes ma'am or yes sir type of character. And with the ability to make choices, and choices are all about life and it's all about how we're also moving that plot forward, I want that character to be faced with right choices. Okay, this is a right choice. This is a right choice. Which do I uh, take? And what's my circumstances? But what I love, what I dearly love, is forcing that character to have to choose between two wrong choices and then having to face the consequences with that. I believe characters initiate action. They are not victims. They may have been victims in the backstory, but that's how they got strong. So when they decide to climb this mountain and they've got their boots on in their backpack, they know what needs to go in that backpack, but they don't necessarily know what kind of obstacles, wild animals, sharp rocks, weather uh, that will hit them on the way to that top of that mountain. That's great. Because one of my pet peeves I'm reading a story is characters who are unnecessarily idiots to move the plot forward. <laughs> it's like, um, which I think can be a crutch, right? It's like you need this obstacle to happen. And so you have the character make a, a wrong decision. And it's not that I don't like wrong decisions. It's that when it's so obviously the wrong decision, where there was a clear right decision, right? It could be they looked at the facts and they made the wrong decision and the author takes you th- through the thought process and you're like, oh, I disagree with the decision. I understand why the character made it, right? It's in, it's in keeping with... Uh, this character's personality in the background, what we know about the character already. But when the character does something that's just so stupid, to, uh, um, like for instance, there was a, a spy. I was reading some book, and there was a spy that was planted on the ship by the bad guys. Right, it's a space story, and the character 
um, didn't just like tell this person everything, all of his secrets, because he was suspicious because he didn't know them. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> like, yes, it would have been you. so easy for the author to have the the main character spill all the beans to the spy, but in not doing that, suddenly the spy becomes a more interesting character because now the spy has to work harder to learn the secrets because he doesn't just have the protagonist vomiting everything out so to move on to the next point and <laughs> little things like that really make a difference in that it each character has to have their own struggles right each character if they were if this was the real world right we're all the main character in our own story right each one of your sub minor characters are the main character in their own story and that security guard uh, that they're walking past he has his own story and this is one of the things that you can do better in a book than they can in the movie. Like you'll notice in a lot of action movies, there's a lot of fighting of kind of faceless bad guys, right? They're wearing masks of some kind. And the reason this is, is because most films only have 10 or so stuntmen. And so if you have your your heroes or your bad guys killing lots of people or fighting lots of people, they're really just fighting the same 10 stuntmen over and over again. So they make them <laughs> faceless. <laughs> they obscure their faces in some way so that they can not have to bring in a bigger uh, stunt army. So like all the orcs in Lord of the Rings are all the same 15 stuntmen and one stunt woman actually. And they just put different orc makeup on them and had them get killed by the heroes over and over again. <laughs> Oh, I, I love that. And two things I wanted to comment on what you said is that our bad guys have to be smarter than we are because no bad guy gets by with all of his crimes unless he's pretty much a genius. And so when when they do something stupid, it just deflates everything, absolutely everything. And yes, between uh, the movie, the screenplay, and the story, um, in in a book, you don't necessarily have to just have a, a walk-on. You can give them a little bit of something that makes them identifiable. And I love that, too. That's right. You can give them a little bit of lines. Because the other reason why so few characters have lines in films is that as soon as they say one word, their union uh, pay changes to a whole different bracket <laughs> of pay, which is why you never see the folks that the heroes are fighting ever say anything. Right there, There's the few ones that speak, and then there's the many who don't speak. And it's because it's a cost-saving measure because of the union contract. Uh, and you, are not, as an author, are not bound to that. Right? You can have these otherwise faceless characters you can give them some just a word or a, a little bit of description you can really breathe life into them and it flashes your whole world with a great degree of color and interest on the other hand you can have too many characters and so the reader doesn't know okay who do i form a bond with and who do i not and uh, and we don't want to do anything to kick our readers out of the story so we have to be careful uh, how many point of view characters we have. I know that there are some stories, some big epics that they may have five points of view, things of that nature. That's not my style. And I will go two to three. It depends if my villain needs a point of view. But this is one thing for your listeners that I'd like to emphasize. And that is every time we change point of view with our characters, we are asking our readers to walk into that character's closet and put on all their clothes, their mindset, their experiences, everything about that character. So how many times is your reader willing to do that before they lose interest in the story? So it's a balance, and it also has to do with the genre and uh, what the ultimate goal is 
uh, in the story arcs for each of the characters and where we're taking them. Yeah, some genres have readers that love lots of point of views, especially in the epic, epic fantasy and mm -hmm. to a lesser degree, sci-fi. But other genres like a romance, uh, if you go much beyond two points of view, you're going to start getting frustrated, <laughs> frustrated <laughs> readers because they're wanting that far more focused story, right? The reader, let's say military science fiction is classic for lots of points of view. And part of the reason why they do that is you're trying to tell a story of a war that's going on, right? In the mil in uh, military sci-fi, that war may be galaxy-spanning, right? You can't have one character popping all over from, you know, solar system to solar system to tell the story. But you do still need to be careful not to have too many because sometimes those books become impenetrable. And so what are some – we're almost out of time, but what are some guidelines to know if you should be adding better characters or more characters to your story or or – consolidating them? How do you know kind of when you have that Goldilocks uh, porridge is just right? <laughs> uh, for me, it's the plot and what has to be accomplished and how vital is the point of view of my antagonist or villain. If we, uh, if the uh, if the the setting in itself is antagonistic enough without adding a point of view, then two may be sufficient. But if the antagonist's point of view is actually sympathetic, because every antagonist believes they are doing the right thing, can that right thing uh, have a positive or a negative effect on my reader? So if I feel that their story is um is valuable and vital then I'm going to put them I'm going to put them in. If not, it is an uh, a face that we uh may meet but never get to know until uh the really tough black moment. So we have to decide genre. We have to figure out okay, if I bring in this extra uh, character is there uh, a reason, a solid reason that adds depth uh, to the story? That unforgettable story that you want the reader to remember forever and pray for the characters, you know that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so my uh, my advice is look at that story, that story idea, that character, and see if it is enhanced by adding uh, someone else. On the other hand, if you have, if you're, if a well-meaning uh, critique partner says you have too many characters, then I encourage the writer to look at the cast of characters that you have and how many can you give two or even three roles, which will help weave that plot and make the motivation even more intense. So there, there's always something we can do, but we have to weigh our story. Story, um, as Stephen James says, story trumps structure. <laughs> and and that, I, that why is so critical. There's a moment in The Fellowship of the Ring where Frodo and Sam are leaving the Shire and they are walking across a field. And they've, they're farther away from the Shire than they've ever been before. And it's really interesting how this moment is captured differently in the book as opposed to the movie. So in the movie, which I imagine everyone has seen, Sam makes the comments like, this is the farthest away from home I've ever been. He takes this dramatic step. And it's like, it's a, it's a, it's an okay moment. moment. It's a good moment. But in the book, uh, the author goes into the point of view of a squirrel that that's observing, wow, there's hobbits here. 
there's not normally hobbits in this field. And you get a paragraph from a point of view of a scroll that you never visit again, <laughs> but it gives like how do you give grandeur to two hobbits walking across a field, right? Like that's kind of a cha- a, mark, a challenge, right? It's a big mo- character moment, but how do you do that in an interesting way? So the film did it one way and the other, but uh, Tolkien did it by going to the point of view of the squirrel who's like pondering, this is so strange that these hobbits, and then he goes back to chasing his nuts and you never see him again. And it it's such a fascinating way to solve that why. And so it's not that Tolkien added a squirrel's POV to his story just for grins and giggles, right? He was doing that for a specific purpose to impact a, a character moment, a character beat that was really important that wouldn't have felt important for us, right? We as humans wander far from home, but hobbits going far from home is a big deal, such a big deal that even the animals notice in Middle Earth when the hobbits have, have left the Shire. It's like, this is strange. What is going? <laughs> These are strange days. Even the hobbits are leaving the Shire. Um, real quick, we're almost out of time, but where can people find out more about you? Well, you can find more about me by going to uh, uh, my website at dianemills.com, and that's D-I-A-N-N-M-I-L-L-S. And I have something for them, too. Uh, for those who are interested and want to see this advanced character sketch I have, if you go to my website... Uh, the dianemills.com and you do slash sketch s k e t c h then you can see the the process i go through and i encourage you to give it a whirl and to personalize it make it make it yours i don't write like you you don't write like me but uh, i um, i am excited for your listeners whenever i know that there is uh information that will help me. Uh, I'm all over it. And we can never stop learning. And I encourage your listeners to, uh, to do that also. But on my website, you will find all the links to Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads, uh, LinkedIn, Pinterest, all of those things. And I encourage you to, uh, connect with me. I love readers. I believe that social media was created for all of us to have more uh, personal relationships. So I really would love to hear from now more than ever. Now more than <laughs> now, ever. Absolutely. Now more than ever. We'll have a link to dianemills.com and as well as to the sketch. If you want to go through that, we'll have a link in the show notes. And I'll also add a link uh, to Diane's book, uh, The Dance of Character and Plot. So if you want more of this information, Diane has an entire book uh, that goes into much greater depth on how you can create amazing characters and put them on a plot that will keep your readers ending not just to the end of the last page but hopefully on to the very next book Diane mills thank you so much for joining us today on the christian publishing show oh thomas this has been an honor and i love talking to writers and thank you so much for the opportunity to hopefully uh, impact a writer to be even better than before Thank you for listening to The Christian Publishing Show. For more information and to get episodes delivered to your phone automatically, visit christianpublishingshow.com.